You're listening to First Church Charlotte. Let's all stand together. I want to read one passage of scripture. This is Psalm 69. We'll read at verse number 30. Psalm 69, verse number 30. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. I want to read it again. I want you to say it out loud with me. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. I want to use that second phrase as my as my uh, title today. I will magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. Before you're seated, fist bump your neighbor and say, I'm so excited about the week I'm going to have. It's going to be amazing. Amen. Amen. We welcome all of you into this 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 service. Our guests and friends, we hope you feel right at home. Uh, we want you to relax and receive from the Lord. We believe the Lord has something uh, important in your life. And the most important thing for any of us at any moment in our life is to perceive what God has for us, what he's doing through us, what he's doing in us, and to submit ourselves to the hand of God in our lives. So my appeal to every one of you today is to humble yourself before the hand of God and let him work in your life. Let him lead you. Let him strengthen you. Let him bless you. Uh, it is always a privilege to be able to bring the word of the Lord to you as a as a preacher. I, I love bringing, I love teaching, I love preaching, I, I love bringing the word of the Lord to people, and sometimes I get a little long-winded, and sometimes I go on, not as bad as my wife does. My wife has gotten where she's longer-winded than I am, but uh, that's just, uh, that's an issue that we'll deal with at home, if you know what I'm saying. That's funny, I don't care what y'all say. The idea of me straightening her out about anything is just hilarious, but, oh, quick joke. So a preacher, uh, he goes to heaven, and he's standing in line there, and behind him in line is a taxi driver. And uh, the preacher gets up there and St. Peter sees him and says, Oh, Reverend so-and-so, come right in. And so the preacher steps forward and he steps through the pearly gates. And, and uh, behind him he hears trumpets flare. And he hears, he hears people just shout out loud. And he hears Peter call this man by name. And he stops. He's a little jealous because, you know, he thought, I'm a, I'm a preacher. I'm somebody. And I just was given access rights. And this, this taxi driver behind me, man. They, he's got a choir. They bring a robe out. They put a, a crown on his head. And finally, after he comes through and the party dies down, the preacher asks St. Peter, he says, look, I'm a, trying not to be offended here, but, um, you know, I spent my whole year, my whole life preaching the gospel, and I was just brought into the city. And that taxi driver, man, it was like a party when he got here. St. Peter said, well, I hate to tell you this, but while you preached, most people slept. And while he drove, most people prayed. <laughs> So I, what I want to do is I want to be the preacher who, while I preach, um, I scare you half to death. You don't know what I'm going to say. And then you pray. See, then it's the best of both worlds. <laughs> I just succeeded doing that with my mom and dad. So, uh, <laughs> Praise the Lord, somebody. You are going to have a great week this week. It's going to be wonderful, and I'm excited uh, for what we all will have. Uh, seeing family and friends, we already have a bunch of people traveling. You would think that that wouldn't be the case, but it is. 
I want to remind you of how the writer of of the book of Psalms, uh, and there's more than one of them, King David wrote many of the Psalms, but also Asaph wrote many Psalms. Um, They have a unique style that is a little bit different than our style. Now, if you you grew up in church uh, environment, uh, you probably sang a lot of the older hymns growing up, and you'll notice that a lot of the older hymns were much, that they were written kind of one to another, um, where we would sing as a testimony or an admonition one to another. And we had sings like, songs like, the mighty God is Jesus, the Prince of Peace is he, everlasting Father, the King eternally. We're singing one to another about God. Uh, we would sing, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. We're singing one to another. And then in the great worship uh, culture that sprung up after the turn of the century, starting in the late 90s, a lot of the praise and worship music began to be written differently, and it was written much more as though you're singing to the Lord. And so uh, a lot of the most famous praise and worship songs of that era uh, were, were in, in some way a type of, of, of love song that you would sing to the Lord. But in the Psalms, and that's all good, worships, worship styles come and go. Uh, there's no right way uh, that you have to worship God. Uh, there's no thing you have to do. Um, in some style, uh, some churches, they, they think if it's not country western style, then it's not of God. Uh, when I was growing up, the guitar was a devil instrument. Uh, <laughs> now we have three of them up here, so that shows how far we've fallen. And uh, uh, I, remember, I remember the first churches that had, uh, I remember a church in North Carolina that prayed through a guitarist. And Now, at our church, we always had guitars when I was growing up, but some of the other ones didn't. I'll never forget when one of the churches... Uh, uh, it's a fairly large, very conservative church. Uh, they they put the first good tar on the platform. I think I was a nine or ten, and oh man, we were scandalized. And of course, you know, we were like, "Well, good. I like this plan because we thought it was the coolest thing ever." And so, you know, th- that that all changes. That uh, that all comes and goes. What's funny is to read what uh, some of the ministers wrote about the hymn uh, "Mighty Fortress Is Our God." Uh, if you read what preachers in the uh, 16th century wrote about that, uh, that, that, that famous hymn of the faith, the mighty fortress is our God. I mean, you talk about, they said it is the kind of thing that would be sung in brothels. That's what the, that's what the preacher said about it. But now, you know, even the righteous folks sing the mighty fortress is our God. All of this, all of this comes and goes writing where we sing one to another. That's good. Writing where we sing to the Lord. That's good. All of that comes and goes. Nowadays we do things different. We have we have smoke machines up here, and no, I did not buy it. I don't run it, but they seem to have a great time with it back there, and uh, it does make you see the lumens in the air. The lights do make a glow, all that, and uh, they have, we have all these cool lights up here that are trying to make me look good and failing miserably, and all of that comes and goes, but here's the thing. In the Psalms, in the Psalms, what you see is a unique style of worship, which you don't hear much anymore, and that is where you sing a song to yourself rather than singing to others or rather to singing to God you admonish yourself now I believe that you need to be in the habit of preaching to yourself can I have a big amen on that one some of the best preaching in your week ought to be you preaching to yourself you ought to say all right now you're not praying the way you need to so I'm going to sing a little song get your lazy heart out of this bed and hit the altar I'm writing a song to myself quit filling and so sorry for yourself. 
yourself. You know that God's been so good to you. So hit that altar and pray for mercy and grace. Beautiful rhyme. If you'd like to write that down, that'd be a, a great a great song for the team to do here. It's not it's rare for us to write a song or to sing a song of self-admonition, where we sing a song exactly to ourselves. But I, I want you to see that that is exactly what you will see over and over again in the Psalms. It's not a song where you're telling someone else what to do. It's not, although those are in the scripture, uh, oh, magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. That's one to another. Um, it's also normal to find songs to the Lord. Uh, may all those who seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. May those who love thy salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. That's a song written uh, to the Lord. Um, but here in 69, Psalm 69, you see uh, the psalmist writes, writing to himself, and he says this I will praise the Lord with a song. I will praise the Lord with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. At the heart of true Christianity is a desire to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I have a better amen than that one? At the heart of serving God, it is, is a desire to magnify, glorify, and uplift the name of Jesus. We are not seeking to promote ourselves. We are seeking to promote the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not seeking to advance our plan. We are seeking to humble ourselves to God's plan. And at the true center of the heart that is seeking to honor God is a desire, like John the Baptist would say, I must decrease and you must increase. He must increase. There is at the center of serving God a desire to glorify the Lord with your life. Paul said it like this, writing to the church at Corinth. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Did you hear what he said? Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So this week when you're eating pumpkin pie, you need to give God some glory. <laughs> this week when you bring out some of that honey baked ham, you need to give God some glory. I'm going to be eating Cajun this week, so I'm going to come back in need of, you know, one of those uh, surgery things. Anyway, um, I want you to know I'm going to do it all to the glory of the Lord. I'm going to eat and I'm going to drink to the glory of the Lord. Watch yourself. Don't get carried away. I know what you're thinking. Uh, everything we do needs to be in some way to the glory of the Lord. When we are blessed in our careers, it's not about us and our success. It's to the glory of the Lord. When we are given things in this life, every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of, li of lights. Everything that we have, God has given to you. You need to give him glory for it. The breath in my body, I want to give it to the Lord for it is his goodness. His mercy in my life. I want to glorify him. I don't know how forgiving a person like me can give him glory, but I will testify of the mercy of the Lord. And those who are also in need of mercy will rejoice and find hope in Jesus Christ. 
Listen to how the Apostle Paul says this. He says, it is my eager expectation and hope that I shall not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. What are you trying to say, Paul? I don't know the path that I'm going to take. I have a lot of people who are receiving the gospel gladly, and I have a lot of people who want to kill me for what I'm preaching. That's one of the signs of, 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 of real anointing is that it seems like nobody's happy with you. At least that's how people in trouble like to encourage themselves. David did it, and here you find Paul doing it. Uh, I, if they kill me, let it be for your glory. If I live, let it be for your glory. This is Paul's challenge. Whatever happens, whatever happens, whatever happens, whether I live, whether I die, I want Christ to be magnified through my life. And so the psalmist says it so well, I will magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. I will, say it with me, I will magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. What do we mean when we say magnify the Lord? Uh, This is a word that we all use. We mostly understand it for the most part, but there's two different ways in which to magnify something can be can be used. Now, there is one way, and that is to make something that is too small for you to see large enough for you to perceive and see the details of. This is the work of a microscope, to take something that is too small for you to see and to magnify it to the point where you are able, in some way, uh, to see details and uh, the very essence of the thing that you would not have been able able to see uh, before. Uh, That's one way to do it. Now, the other way is to, and that's the work of a microscope, as I mentioned. Now, the other way uh, is there's something, the problem is not that it's too small. The problem is that it's too far. I want you to think about that. The problem is not that it's too small. The problem is that it is too far. And this is not the work of a microscope. This is the work of a telescope. The truth is, the sun is so big that it really rattles our brain to truly try to understand how big the sun is. If you go on YouTube, say, you can uh, Google up some comparisons of sizes. And the sun is so much bigger than the earth that if you put the earth beside the sun, it almost disappears on your display. But our sun, although big to us and though beyond our ability to perceive its size, the truth is uh, we can only perceive size in relation to ourselves. Like, for example, the Mac, the Mack truck that almost ran you over on the way to church, that was big. But it's not that big. Compared to the things that God has created, it's the smallest of things, literally. It's just almost unnoticeable in size. The sun is so big that when you place the earth beside it, the earth almost disappears from the screen. But our sun's not a big star. You can go on the same size comparison type graphics that are available on YouTube and, and compare the size of our sun to a, a, a massive super giant star and they will show you star after star and, and, and our sun will get smaller as the screen fills up with other stars and finally when you get to the largest super giant stars our sun is so small you can't even see it because it's about the size of a single pixel on your screen we don't understand how great God is the problem is not that God is small the problem is that we get caught 
carnal, we get self-centered, we become sinful, we live in rebellion, and the presence of God is not small, it's far. We have allowed our nature, our sin, our carnality to separate us from the presence of God. And we need to magnify him in our lives. As a preacher, I'm in the business of magnifying God in people's lives. As an individual believer, I'm in the business of magnifying God in my life, in my testimony. So real quick, I want to give you a couple testimonies of things that have just happened recently here at First Church. Uh, David Milcher's sister diagnosed last month with cancer. Uh, very much, very much uh, a terrible diagnosis, not, not just like an early stage, but they told her it was all through her body. All her lymph nodes, they'd given her scans. They basically told her she needed to get her house in the order because her whole body was filled with cancer all through all of her lymph system. And so uh, David uh, and, of course, Tina, they're both people of faith. He has some other people of the faith in his family. They drove down to Florida. This just happened. This is last weekend, okay? Drove down to Florida. They're going in to do the initial surgery, do the initial biopsies, all of that, figure out what's going on and uh, and the like. And, and, and Dave's down there. If you don't know Dave, wave your hand, Dave. Wave your hand for everybody right here. All right. He goes down there and he tells them, no, we are going to believe God. We refuse the diagnosis of the doctor. So him and his sisters, they start speaking, but speak in the name of Jesus. They go in, they do the surgery, they come out and they say, look, we've got the diagnosis all wrong. The cancer that we thought was all through her body is not all through her body. I'm in the business of glorifying God at First Church. I'm in the business of saying God can do things that are beyond your understanding, beyond your comprehension. Don't be satisfied to just hold on when you have promises of God available. So that was last weekend. I mean, that's that's just what God's doing uh, in the here and now. Also, for example, uh, Natalie, wave your hand, Natalie. She gave us an amazing testimony. Uh, she has fought with an autoimmune, autoimmune disease in her body that has produced a lot of suffering, a lot of pain for the last two years. She has had very painful uh, symptoms every day. She's been to doctors, tried to get tried, everything she could do, and living in pain and suffering. And uh, a few, uh, a couple weeks back. We had a night of worship here, and uh, I, at the end of it, because I've been in the business of trying to give God opportunities to manifest his power and his, his strength among us, I've been just been asking for people more than I have in the past. Just if you have a need, we want to pray. So at the end of the concert, I decided, all right, don't just, you know, make friends. Uh, let somebody, let somebody have an opportunity. So I said, uh, if anybody, anybody has a need, I want you to, before you're dismissed, I want you to come down here. So Natalie has been living with this, struggling with this. So she stepped out and I didn't even pray for her. She, uh, I, I, she was mad at me because I didn't pray for her. And uh, Anthony prayed for her. And everybody knows Anthony's not as powerful as I am. And uh, she was like, you just walked off. And, and, and Anthony met her over here and prayed, prayed for her. It wasn't a big thing. We didn't make a, you know, we didn't go on a seven day fast, although we probably need to. But uh, we didn't run around nothing. Just real speak the name of Jesus. Why? There's power in the name of Jesus. It's not about a show. It's not about drama. It's not about special effects. It is about the name of Jesus. And we are in the business of exalting the name of Jesus. 
And so two years of symptoms, two years of pain, two years of misery, and uh, Anthony prayed for right here on the altar. And since that time, she has lost all the symptoms that are in her body from just a simple prayer right here in an altar service after a concert where we were just making friends, winning friends and influencing people. What am I talking about? We're going to glorify the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. There is healing in the name. Like the song says, when I call your name. So I'm going to tell you today at the end of this service, we're going to do the same thing. We're just going to open it for needs and we're going to do the same thing. We're not going to try to make something of ourselves. We're just going to speak the name of Jesus because God's here right now and I am magnifying him with thanksgiving. And so uh, we are not called to be microscopes where we try to make small things big. Uh, we are called to be telescopes where we bring far things near. Because the truth is, Jesus is close to us. His presence is near to us. We just fail to perceive. We have a sight problem. With eyes, we do not see. And with ears, we do not hear. Uh, we miss what God is doing all around us because we are not not continually and daily magnifying him in our life with thanksgiving. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in chapter number one, and he said this, we need to open the eyes of our hearts. We need to open the eyes of our hearts that we can know the hope to which he has called us. You have been called toward a life and a ministry of hope, but you need to open your eyes so you can see the ministry of hope to which you are called and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power in us who believe. You need to have your eyes opened so your hope can rise, so you can see how rich you are, so you can see the immeasurable greatness of his power in us who believe. I'm telling you, I choose to magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. That means every good thing that happens in me, God's going to get the credit for it. Every blessing that God has given me, he's going to be magnified. I want you to see how David in his songwriting, he writes instruction to himself over and over, scripture after scripture, psalm after psalm, poem after poem, worship course after worship course. David writes what he's going to do. He writes what he ought to do. He writes what he chooses to do. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He is making a choice on how he's going to live his life. He writes the song in the low part of his life. He's living the worst part of his life, but he is choosing to think about the best part of his life. Oh, I'm telling you, y'all, y'all just, y'all, I'm going to have to preach longer, I can tell. I don't really, it doesn't really matter so much what you are living in. What matters is what are you seeing with eyes of faith. You may be in the worst year of your life, uh, but God is on your side, uh, and you ought to magnify him with thanksgiving. If God never heals you again, you still have eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. If God never blesses you in the manner of finances, you still have had your soul healed by the bomb of Gilead. Praise God, somebody. 
I want to magnify God with thanksgiving. I want to preach to myself, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I'm talking to me. I will bless him by the act of my will and the choice of my heart. I'm talking to me. I will not forget what God has done. Some of us are in the business of telling everyone else what to do, but we never preach to ourselves. You need to take a text on your carnal hide and say, listen here, Mr. Carnal Hide, Sister Carnal Hide, you will not be, you will not forget what God has done for you. You will not forget how far he has brought you from. You will not forget the compassion with which he has cared for you. And it's not just King David, also the worship leader, Asaph, leader of the house of Israel. I, I sometimes wish we could have seen the tabernacle of David because it was over the top. They were doing things that had never been done before. There's no telling, there's no telling what some people thought about them. They were doing things that had never happened before. They turned worship into this active uh, demonstration of zeal and heart toward the Lord. They brought out every kind of instrument there was to bring out and they just didn't do it in chaos they did it intentionally they did it with order they had dancers I wonder how many you'd quit the church if we had dancers I don't mean kind of the frustrated dancers like you know that's that's fun I grew up doing that and I'll still do it if I get the mood on me I don't care what you think Uh, but I'm talking about orchestrated dancers where they come out and they're like oh God is good and his work they did that if you don't know that you haven't researched tabernacle of David it was part of their worship. Can you imagine how over the top that was? It was over the top. They, D- D- David took off his robes that were appropriate to his role and wearing a linen ephod, the king lost all his dignity and danced before the Lord. His own wife was like, holy moly, this is out of control. You should be ashamed of yourself. Listen to what Asaph says in Psalm seventy-seven, eleven. I will, notice he's writing to himself, I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I'm not going to forget what God's done for me. I know I've had a tough week, but I'm not going to forget what God's done for me. I know I've had a few setbacks and troubles, but I'm not going to forget what God has done for me. Yay! That's Asaph. Yay! You thought preacher said that. No, brother Asaph said that. Yay! I will remember thy wonders of old. I'm I'm making a decision. I will meditate on all thy work and muse on thy mighty deeds. Thy way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. I want you to see the intentionality of the choice these individuals are making. And they're saying to their self, listen here, buddy, you are not not going to live ungratefully. You are not going to forget what God has done for you. Gratitude is a matter of survival. If I don't have a heart of thanksgiving, uh, then the goodness of God will slowly be removed from my perception. His presence will slowly be something I cannot see, something I cannot feel. Our first task, therefore, is to see and to remember the greatness and goodness of God. So we pray to God, uh, open the eyes of our heart, and we preach to our soul, soul, forget not all his benefits. 
yet. If we do not make an effort on our part, if we do not set with intention in our life, I will live a life of celebrating what God has done. I will give my day, each and every one, as a celebration of what God has done. If we choose to live any other way, then the problem is not that God isn't great. It's just that we are failing to perceive his greatness. And so, uh, I put a bunch of references in your notes if you download the notes off the website. I want you to say this. I want you to see this. We have to be, we have to see and remember the greatness of God's power. I put a bunch of references. We have to see and remember the the wisdom of the Lord given to us. I put references as you know. We have to see and remember the mercy of God and we have to direct our heart to magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. I want to say thank you God for every time you could have given up on me but you have not given up on me. I have repented over the same dumb things 500 times and don't act like you're righteous. I know some of your junk and you should say amen very loudly. I have repented over the same dumb stuff time and time again and if I was the Lord, I would have just knocked me into next year. But the Lord has, like a father, tenderly loved me and met me at altars of repentance and washed my sins away. Every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights. I want to magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. I want to celebrate his goodness in my life. Here is a truth that I want you to see. And I, I'm, I'm not going to go much longer. Uh, I want you to see this truth, however. It is the natural state of created beings such as ourselves to compete with God for glory. It is the natural state of a rebellious heart to compete with God for glory. This is the story of the first rebellion in heaven and the rebellion here on earth. Both of them have similar, similar roots. First of all, the rebellion in heaven is Lucifer saying, I will ascend to heaven. I will, I will become, I, I, I will become the Lord. I will exalt myself. It's a competition for glory. He's not content to give God the glory. He wants to take some of the glory for himself. And this is exactly how Eve is deceived in the garden. God's trying to keep something from you, the serpent says. If you eat of this, this forbidden uh, tree, then you will be like God. And you, you, you don't want to have this kind of servant relationship. You want to have a competitor relationship with God. This is the common failing of our heart in uh, we can do it in the manner in which we live our lives. We can live lives that pursue our wants and our wishes, and we can heap glory and accolades to ourselves through accomplishment, through career, through business, through the things we want, we wish, we long for, pursue the lust of the flesh, the lust of the, of the eye, the pride of life. We can, in, in some manner, follow after our own wishes, wants, and exalt our own name. This is the resistance of created things to the creator. Um, I, I want you to see it's not just a sinful action that can do this. There's also, this is the path you see in the New Testament of, of Jesus's most commonly reproved subjects, which are the Pharisees, where, where they, in their pursuit of God, they seek glory for themselves. They seek glory for themselves. And so Jesus tells us the story of a church service 
service and, and there's uh, one guy there and he's not really looking heavenward, he's looking around and um, he, he's, he's checking who should and should not be in the church service. I think, I think some people fall into this habit, I'm telling you, it's spiritual death. And they look around and they, they, they try to figure out who should and should not be there. This is what the Pharisee does. He looks around, who should and should not be there. And he decides that the guy over there in the corner, the tax collector, he shouldn't be there. That's a shameful man. And so what this guy does is he goes to not, he's not telling himself about God's goodness. He's telling God about his goodness. Do you see the competition? And so he, he goes to the Lord. He says, Lord, I just want to point out something here. You know, that dirty dog over there should be ashamed of himself. He should not be a part of this church. I'm a little bit mad at the preacher for even letting him attend here. We ought to run him off as soon as possible because he's exactly what is wrong with everything. And I just want to say thank you, Lord, that, I mean, I'm not like that. I mean, don't want to brag or anything. Don't want to point out the obvious, but I'm doing good. <laughs> And over in the corner, here's this tax collector. And he smites his breast, the Bible says. And he says, God, forgive me. I am unclean. I am undone. And the Lord says only one of those men leaves justified. And it's not the guy who wants to talk to God about how good he is. This is an error. It's the same sin of Lucifer, the desire to bring accolades of accomplishment to ourselves, the desire to exalt us. Look how good I'm doing. Look how how godly I am. None of us have the right to bring glory to ourselves because after all has been said and done, our best efforts are incomplete and not enough. We need God to be manifest in our life. We need a wedding garment that we cannot afford given to us to help us stand in divine righteousness. You'll see this in uh, Psalms 35 and where David says this. He's talking about two different groups of people. David is writing as the anointed of Israel. He's writing as a king who also is a, a worship leader and a warrior. He is a, he is a triple threat kind of guy and he's writing this. Psalms 35, 27. Let those Those who desire my vindication shout for joy and be glad and say forevermore, the Lord be magnified. Now he contrasts that group with another group of people and he says this, let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves. This is the difference, who we choose to magnify. So these two different groups are offered to the human story and they are representative of the human condition those who love to magnify God and those who love to magnify themselves. At the root of all spiritual ingratitude is a love for one's own greatness. And the, at, the, at the end of, of a flawed, vain ministry, when we try to build our kingdoms rather than God's kingdoms, is not spiritual life, but spiritual death. It's not about exalting us. It is about exalting the name of the Lord Jesus. We want to think of ourselves as self-made. We want to think of ourselves as strong. We want to think of ourselves as, as, as being you know worthy. Uh, we've accomplished some things, but God speaks to us and reminds us that we are at best 
one who inherited, inherits his goodness. We are the beneficiary of his victory. We are spiritually crippled and we are spiritually children. There is no glory in the flesh. There's only what God has done. Therefore, I want to read to you what I have been quoting all day. This is the passage that we are celebrating. I will magnify God with thanksgiving. What does he say next? And I'm done, musicians, you can come. He says this, this will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. What are you talking about, David? Why are you saying that you will magnify God with thanksgiving? First of all, we can't make God bigger. We can only make God bigger to us. The problem is not God as an absolute, but perception of how great he is. We can have eyes that do not see, ears that do not hear. We must see God as he is, not as, not, not simply as, um, you know, uh, in some way trying to make him greater than he is. That's impossible. But we need to perceive the greatness of the Lord. And so, why would you say, having said, I will magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. Why would you say, now Lord, you're going to appreciate this more than the rituals of sacrifice. Why would you say that this will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves? In fact, this is not the only place where this is said. Let me read in Psalms 50, another passage, verse 9 through 14. I will accept no bull from your house. This is my new scripture of personal proclamation. I will accept no bull from your house that's funny I don't care what you say I will accept no bull from your house that's the best youth message of the year right there nor he goat that's for you single women moving along Um, I will accept no bull from your house nor he goat from your folds for every beast of the forest is mine you ain't giving me nothing God says The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. I know you're keeping them, but they're mine. Don't act like you're giving me something I don't already have. I know all the birds of the air and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world. And all that is in it is mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And pay your vows to the Most High. Wow. Wow. Something's happening here. I love passages that make me stop. It's like things that make you go, hmm. What are you talking about, Lord? What are you trying to say? If you magnify the Lord with thanksgiving, it will matter more to him than if you brought a bull or an oxen. So, real quickly, in the house of Israel, sacrifice was hierarchical in the sense of your ability to offer it. If you were of the upper 1%, if you were a top one percenter like, you know, Dewan, if you were a top one percenter, then you would have to bring a bull to make an offering to the Lord because you was reflective of your status. And you probably would enjoy walking in there and being all old, this old thing. You know what I'm talking about? Lord, I feel like sound, sound like we have an accident going by outside. Lord, he touch anybody who's hurt in Jesus' name. 
And so uh, this, this, this whole idea of if you were of the top 1%, you would bring what? An oxen or a bull? You were somebody. And all the house of Israel would be a little bit jealous because you were a somebody and you would bring it. Now, if you were poor, but you still were like, you, you like had, you owned things, but you were poor. The poorest people would bring a, a turtle dove, a turtle dove. If you had no possessions whatsoever and you were like literally a beggar, there would be nothing for you to bring and you would have to live in the hope. You would have to live in the hope that the sacrifice the high priest made would cover you. So you see status in offerings. This is the wrong way to serve God. Do you see what he's saying here? The wrong way to serve God is is in a manner of figuring out who's good and who's not good. Who's blessed and who's not blessed. You need to get out of the business of trying to figure out who should be making an offering and who should not be making an offering. You need to quit looking at what other people do. You need to quit saying, oh, they only gave a a he-goat and they should have gave an oxen or they should have gave... Forget about all of that. You offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and don't act like you're giving God anything. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and know that he will receive you in his presence. The last verse of Psalms 50 says this, he who brings thanksgiving as his sacrifice honors me. And so when David says in Psalms 51 and 17, the sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit or a broken and a contrite heart, oh God, thou will not despise. He's describing the kind of heart that can see what God has done for them. Once you stop competing with God and talking about what you've accomplished and what you have and how good you are. Now you are ready to see what God has done for you. And so this year, this is a week of Thanksgiving. We will spend time with loved ones. We will celebrate. You should enjoy it. You should love your loved ones. You should have a good time. Make sure you enjoy your Thanksgiving dinner. The average Thanksgiving dinner in America takes 18 hours to prepare. That's not how long you spend on most of your dinners. You have taken some time. Someone has made the best salad. Someone has made the best corn and beans and and, and broccoli and all the delicious, you know, uh, etouffee. And yes, Lord, you know what your servant needs. And (laughs) you understand what I'm saying? You you have to enjoy it. But after you have had all of this celebration, humble yourself before God and say, if it wasn't for you, I would have nothing in my life. So I want to start by magnifying you, by acknowledging what you have done for me. I once was dead in trespasses and sins. I once had no hope. I was a sinner. I was lost. I was without any future prospects. But God, you reached down. You reached way down. You found a dirty, low-down sinner like me. And you embraced me. And you made me a son and a daughter. I just want to say thank you, Lord Jesus. I want to say thank you, Lord Jesus. So Peter says this, clothe yourselves with all humility for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that in due time, in due time, he may exalt you. 
I will bless the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. Let the oppressed see it and be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. Lord, I pray for every heart that's here today. You know exactly where we are coming from. You know the various distractions and dilemmas of our life. Lord, I pray that we would turn our hearts towards you today. I pray that those of us who have been living with too much focus upon the temporal, we would repent of that and we would turn our hearts back to you, O God. I'm praying for the person who this week they have felt a drawing in their life and they have thought that they need to to, to turn their attention heavenward and focus their heart upon eternal things. And here they are today sitting in this house. Lord, I am speaking. I am believing. I am praying for them that they would be able to consider how good you have been to them. And through thanksgiving, they would magnify you, Lord. I'm praying for the person here today who it's been a long time since they've had a heart of repentance. I'm praying that in this service today, they would let repentance do its work in their life. I'm praying for the person today who is looking for the next step of their spiritual journey. And they've come here today to see what the next step would be for them. Lord, I pray that if they haven't repented, they would repent of their sins here today. If they haven't been baptized in your name, I pray that they would make make all haste to be baptized in your name. If they haven't received a testimony of, of your presence with them through the Holy Spirit, I pray that they would humble them to receive the gift of heaven. Lord, don't let us leave here unstirred or untouched, but lift us up beyond the distractions, beyond the dilemmas, and let us see the goodness of your word, the goodness of your healing, the goodness of your provision, the goodness of your promise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me all across the house? I told you I was going to do this, so I'm going to do it right now. If you have a need in your body and you would like to have a testimony to give God glory with, I'd like you to step out of the seat that you're standing in right now. I'd like you to come down to the front. Our pastors are going to come and they're going to get ready to pray for you. We are looking for the miraculous today. We are looking for miracles. We are looking for signs of God's presence. We are looking for the testimony of the redeemed and the testimony of the healed. So don't be bashful. Don't be self-conscious. I want you to step out right now. I want you to gather in. In just a moment, I'm going to invite everyone to come and help us all pray together. But I want to take just a moment, and I want to give you an opportunity to be bold in your faith and to step out. Confess your need before the Lord. That's right. Thank you all for having the courage to step out. I'm looking for miracles in your life. That's right. That's right. All right, now church, I'd like you to begin coming behind them. I'd like you to find someone you can go to, someone you can stand near. I'd like you to put a hand on their shoulder or extend a hand toward them today. I'm looking for the miraculous in the service today. I'm looking for the touch of heaven in lives. I want to tell your testimony later on this week. I want to tell of your blessing uh, later on this week. In Jesus' name, God, we thank you for what you're able to do. I thank you for the witness that we already have of your great work among us. I thank you for the miraculous as, as it has been expressed among us. Lord Jesus, work among these needs. In Jesus' name, we pray. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, 
Worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.